0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. This is going to be a little bit awkward. Usually people clear out after they've heard me preach. Today we'll... Won't even have to worry about that. I want to send a, uh, a heartfelt thanks again to the Weilers uh, for being with us. And and that song hits the nail on the head right there. Uh, when you think of what you need in prayer, when, you, when you're at home alone, what you need is Jesus. Jesus Christ and salvation through Him. He is the answer to our prayers. Um, if you're wondering who's here, it's skeleton, uh, essential personnel only. We have... Uh, some elders here, uh, also a deacon, our music team, and uh, just the essentials to to keep going we are we 're concerned about you we love you, and we want you to know how to contact us if you need to we 're going to return to our primary text that we 've been on Luke chapter nineteen, but this is more of a topical today than a uh, than a passage that we're going to work through verse by verse. It's going to be primarily based on one verse that we saw last week. This is where we would have been, regardless of a pandemic or anything else. Uh, This is the spot God has us right now, is prayer. So, if you're looking for a passage to open to, you might want to keep John 17 uh, open and reflect back upon that. When When you see Jesus... Prayers in scripture. Not all of them are recorded. He prayed a lot. But the ones that are recorded are prayers of gravity. They're of theological depth and importance. And we want to make sure that as we gather as a church, especially corporately, I want you to think corporate church today. Uh, We have to be certain that we are praying in in a way that would please Him. So we'll reflect upon how He prayed, and thus uh, get guidance upon how we should pray. As we departed last Sunday, Jesus had just cleansed His temple of corruption. As we learned, the priests and the scribes had conspired together as thieves turning God's house into a den of robbers. As I mentioned at that time, religion, you know, it's always been big business. There's always existed people, opportunists, uh, strategizing to, to extort a buck off of worship. That's nothing new. That's been from the beginning. During Passover... As we saw last week, these entrepreneurs exploited the sacrificial system hoping to take a fraction of of everything that Israel offered to God. They they were on the take. The priests did not need to allow this to occur. The provision for their livelihood, it was prescribed in the law. They did not need other income, but, but what they had from God wasn't enough apparently. So the high priests, uh, in that year there were two recognized, Annas and Caiaphas. In effect, they they licensed retail kiosks on the Temple Mount. It it was kind of their side hustle to make some extra money. And and as a result, Mark 11 reveals that Jesus had found that there were shoppers carrying merchandise throughout the temple. uh, Articles that that they didn 't need to correctly worship God, uh, you know folks in America, our consumer Christianity has perfected the merchandising of Jesus, absolutely perfected it. Uh, we are bombarded with advertisements to to purchase everything from from seminars for our health to concert tickets what have you. Uh, There are Christian bracelets, t-shirts, pictures, art. There's even hallelujah hot sauce, if you can believe me. I've had it. It's not bad. It's not bad. Some of these things are enjoyable. Some of these things are beneficial, in a sense. Yet others are downright sinister. Christians have to be wise to discern what the merchants are selling us, folks. Perhaps nowhere is this double-edged sword of profitable versus unprofitable, good versus bad, more prominent than in Christian publishing today. I am exceedingly grateful for Christian books and resources. There are theologically rich publications that that uh, that are orthodox in faith they are true uh, they are peer reviewed where others have looked at them they're exceedingly beneficial for Christians but when we stroll into the the local christian bookstore searching for uh, a way to experience our best life now you could perhaps sweep 90% of these books and resources these publications off the shelves and throw them directly into the trash. Uh, sadly, Christian bookstores today, most of them can't remain in business selling theologically rich books. Unfortunately, Americans, most Americans won't buy them. They won't, people won't buy them. Rather, rather than you know, Spurgeon, Augustine, and Calvin, uh, the mass population wants... Mickey, Minnie, and Pluto. Most prefer, most prefer to read about you know magical and, and mystical experiences, boasting of of, of supernatural claims that, that, that can neither be uh, verified or or refuted. You know th- this is by design in these resources. Uh, if you were to write a manuscript, if you were to decide to write a manuscript describing how Elvis appeared in your bedroom as you were praying the rosary. Uh, who could possibly doubt you? You know, This is what they're counting on. Uh, there's no way to doubt you or your motive uh, so uh, such people can press send and, and, and sh- send that manuscript off to their local publisher and, and, and hopefully it'll become a New York Times bestseller. That's, that's what they're searching for. Individual experiences you know they're they're virtually impossible to refute you know this is this is one reason authors love to write them spectacularism sells the writer will never be held to account but they're also impossible to verify we need to remember that therefore personal experiences are never authoritative for the church so, in a, in a practical application of what we studied last week in the, in the cleansing of the temple, most of what is offered to Christians today by, by these modern-day merchants, these, these merchants, most of it is spiritually harmful. Spiritually harmful. A small percentage are helpful. Few to none are essential for Christian maturity. Um, as Luther, Calvin, and Knox And the other reformers declared, the the five solas, folks, are enough. Scripture alone, faith alone, by grace alone, uh, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. That's enough. That's what the Reformation was all about. Meanwhile, most of what modern Christianity consumes online, watches on YouTube, finds in books, is spiritually detrimental to the faith. Most of it. Uh, increasingly pastors, and, and this is true for Pastor Weiler and myself, increasingly pastors find themselves having to, do, uh, to undo damage that is caused by such resources uh, by self-proclaimed experts online, um, self-endorsed authors. Um, th- folks, there is false teaching being broadcast everywhere. Now, don't turn off Facebook just yet, all right? Hang with me. This is going to come full circle. Just hang with me. There are certain resources online and in books, in print, that are quite helpful. I have with me a book that that was written by Alistair Begg about pastoring. Uh, It's practical. It is realistic. It is theologically correct. Uh, I benefited from it greatly when I first entered the pastoral ministry, I don't get the sense from Alistair, uh, knowing him from his online uh, preaching and other things, that he's seeking to enrich himself or to build a big name for himself, achieve fame, fortune, and a Learjet. Sadly, he's in the minority today. He's in the minority. There are resources that are beneficial. Bible software is helpful. Um. There's an article that I linked onto this page you're watching right now, this post that comes from a source called gotquestions.org about prayer. You'll see it. It asks if uh, prayer gatherings, corporate prayer, large numbers of people praying is, is more effective or uh, efficacious or powerful than an individual praying. I, I encourage you to read through that when you have time. There are sources that are good. Got questions is typically a pretty straight shooter. But none of it marketed today is essential for your faith. How can we know? We can know because uh, for, for nearly 2,000 years now, the church has both survived and in most situations thrived for millennia without any of it. It was just published today, the church has gone just fine without any of it. That doesn't mean it's not beneficial God's Word and His Spirit are enough. So so we each have to be... This this is my concern. We each have to be very cautious about what we ingest. Uh, And like Jesus, we need to cleanse God's temple of a lot of this stuff. A lot of this stuff that is harmful. That's a wrap-up from where we were last week. This week... We need to continue this cleansing of God's temple as we follow through with what Jesus declared in Luke 19, verse 46. He also said it in in Matthew and Mark. uh, My house shall be called a house of prayer. That's what Jesus declared. That that is a quote from Isaiah, uh, chapter 56. Christ's cleansing of the temple, it it began with, with his very zealous defense of God's word. In Mark 11, verse 15, uh, that which caused the merchants to flee, to, to cower in fear, uh, what was it? What were they afraid of? Well, folks, it, it wasn't fear of violence. Jesus was not a violent man. He was surely impassioned. He was zealous when driving them out with their livestock. Uh, but, but Scripture describes the priests and the scribes as being fearful as the crowds were astonished at his teaching, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. He was teaching. Jesus' words exposed them for what they were. Je- Jesus preached them out of the Temple Mount uh, by declaring God's truth. He-, he unmasked them as the deceiving opportunists that they were. They ran. They ran. They could not stand in his presence of the truth. Um, Remember, God's temple today, it's not uh, comprised of brick and mortar walls as it was uh, in that day. We are now flesh and blood. Um, We who are God's redeemed, we are indwelt by God's Holy Spirit. Uh, The gathering of us together as a community, a local community of Christians... This constitutes His temple today. Us, us together, uh, worshiping and gathering together. Your individual body, it, it is true, that is a type of temple. You will find that in Scripture. But the corporate gathering is what is in view today, alright? Focus on the corporate gathering of God's people and prayer. 1 Corinthians chapter 3.16 assures that gatherings of the local churches... These gatherings together are the temple of God. We are his temple. And local pastors cleanse the temple much in the way that Jesus did. By by preaching the word, we defend God's flock against merchants, about uh, those out for profit among the people. And the word cleanses us cleanses us, it, it sanctifies us, as we saw in our scripture reading, John 17, verse 17 earlier. Jesus said, Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. So, so the word of God sanctifies us, it's, it makes us holy, it sets us apart to Christ. As the apostles determined, it was in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. That is right. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. We saw that cleansing of the Word last night as Jesus flushed out the temple. Today our focus is on Jesus' statement that remains that I didn't have time to give proper attention last week. We need to really focus on this verse. We can't just move on without looking at it closely. Last week he said, It is written, My house will be, will be called a house of prayer. Very essential. Essential for them, essential for the church today. Uh, Again, this is a a corporate sense. What does it mean to become or be a house of prayer? Uh, You know, prayer, it it is especially misunderstood today. Especially misunderstood. Most Christians have been taught to view prayer as as a, a way for us to to plug into God's power uh, to either get what we want, things that we want, things that our flesh wants, fame, fortune, good health, all these other things. Or prayer is, is described as a way to do magical stuff, mystical stuff, he, healing signs and wondered, wonders. Folks, prayer isn't represented uh, as any of the above. That, that, that's not what prayer is Four, one paragraph in that article that I linked for you uh, to this Facebook page in, from gotquestions.org uh, begins like this. It says, prayer is cooperating with God to bring about His plan, not trying to bend Him to our will. Prayer is a divine exercise of us bending our will to His. Bending our wills to his eternal plan. Uh, God's will, people are, what's God's will? God's will is clearly displayed in his word. It is not a mystery of what God's will is for your life. Trust in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Uh, there's no mystery to God's will. Purification of his saints. Holiness said unto the Lord. A righteousness, goodness, Truth. These are God's will. So we pray for ourselves and our lives to be conformed to His will. That, that, that's the exercise of prayer. Therefore, knowing God's will is found in His Word, prayer is also a ministry of the Word. It's also a ministry of the Word. It, it cleanses us from sin. Last week we talked how the preaching of the Word cleanses the local body. We talked about how uh, the singing, the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are an exercise of the Word of God. We, we sing the hymns that are theologically rich. They teach us about Christ. They teach us about His Word. So therefore, music, Christian music needs to be theologically rich and have some depth and truth to it. Not just empty, vain repetition. So, preaching is a ministry of the Word. Uh, Song and worship is a ministry of the Word. And prayer is a ministry of the Word that also cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It it cleanses us from sin in our lives and theological error. Um, When we need some help with this cleansing, when we need some, some help with this understanding Scripture assures us, this is James 1, verse 5, if any one of you lacks wisdom, this is him or her, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him or her ask of God who supplies richly, um, gives generously, without reproach, and it will be given to him or her. Um, I will gladly, before we get a little further into this, we're talking about corporate prayer today especially, I will gladly pray for you to have wisdom. I want to do that. I do so often with people on personal issues. Um, uh, A church should invite God's wisdom corporately, that He would give us wisdom in how to respond. But notice what James says Let him or her ask of God. Folks, this is individually. In, In the Greek, it is in the singular. Let, let him ask of God, and it will be given to him, individually. You need to pray for wisdom. Um, you know, God doesn't say, have the pra- the pastor pray for your wisdom, or have your grandmother pray for your wisdom. That is a short-circuited prayer if you're unwilling to pray yourself. You're, you're wanting someone else to do what you don't really feel like doing in that sense. Prayer should not be short circuited when it's done as an individual. Individual prayer is, is powerful. I have a couple examples here for you. Number one Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king that prayed that his life would be spared when he, when he learned that he was mortally ill by the prophet Isaiah. You can read about that in, in Isaiah chapter 38. Hezekiah prayed alone, he prayed alone. He didn't didn't make a declaration throughout the kingdom. Uh, He prayed alone. God answered his prayer affirmatively. When Paul the Apostle suffered a thorn in the flesh, there's a lot of debate about what that thorn was. Was it a physical thorn? Was it a spiritual thorn? Regardless, he prayed alone. He prayed alone. Three times it said he prayed alone in 2 Corinthians 12. And God provided Paul an answer. Folks, when when Christ prayed his, his spectacular prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, He prayed alone. He prayed alone. What their examples assure us as Christians is that God does not give us the impression. Scripture does not give us the impression. Anywhere in Scripture. That God somehow relies upon or benefits from or, or even asks us to establish just long prayer lists of every little thing we've got going here before he can respond. That he's some, his hands are somehow tied until we get it to enough people uh, for individual needs. When you need God to act on your behalf, we may run into this with this pandemic with, with some of us. When you need God to act on your behalf, if he so wills, he can intervene based on your prayer alone, no no matter your situation, you could be this should should be such an encouragement to us no matter whether you are isolated in in prison for the faith somewhere around the globe, whether you are alone in a hospital bed somewhere um, your private prayer reaches God Um, again, this especially applies to individual needs here's the deal Here's the deal. God is already omnipotent. That that means He is all-powerful. Omnipotence means God can achieve anything. He even speak the world into existence with a word. That, That is how powerful God is. God does not receive additional power through human prayers. This is an error that's been perpetuated for for the, the eons. Um, nor does God receive permission to work through human prayers. Uh, no matter what goofy things the merchants and the charlatans on, on television, Christian television, uh, again, quote-unquote Christian television, um, nor what the latest best-selling author tells you about prayer. Something they want to sell you in their books. We don't wield divine power in our prayers. Miraculous healing, it serves as one of the most common distortions of prayer that we encounter. So I'm going to use it. This could, be, this could also involve wealth and riches and, and, and any number of things that people think they're empowered through prayer to improve their life situation, uh, to improve their self-esteem. Uh, these are powerful things, as said. Uh, uh, one of the biggest ones that we can expose... In this, in this poor understanding, is is healings, is healings. King Hezekiah's healing, as his life was spared, was represented as a rare novelty in Scripture. A rare novelty. Um, supernatural healings remain so today. They they are rare. They are rare. A, a brief review of our study through the Gospel of Luke we've been in for some time reminds us. Uh, That that reminds Christians that the astonishing healings of Jesus were were exactly that. They were astonishing. They were astonishing. Um, They served as a testimony to Christ's divinity, that, that he truly was the Messiah that Israel had long been waiting for. They were evidence of his divinity. Luke's chapter 9 and, and chapter 10, especially, assure us that Jesus chose, specifically chose, unique de- uh, uniquely delegated such power over, it, it says, all demons and diseases to his apostles, and, and during a short time, a few others. A few others. He he had to delegate it to them. Uh, obviously then, these people, it, it wasn't a power they had inherently, that they already possessed uh, before Jesus gave it to them. Uh, Folks, nor do we today. This isn't something that Christians inherently possess in themselves. Would you like a little proof? A little proof. We'll just ask yourself this. Who have you met today who heals all diseases? Who casts out all demons? How about any diseases? How about any diseases? Um, A renowned... Pastor Weiler brought this to my attention this about almost two weeks ago now, quite some time ago. Uh, a renowned West Coast congregation in California. You know, and they claim of all kinds of healings and signs, apostolic signs and wonders. Uh, um, they determined several days ago, this was before the, the, the quarantine and the isolation got really heavy, but they determined probably 10 days ago now or more Uh, Before the mandated closures in California, to suspend all miraculous hospital healings out of concern for the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Folks, think about that for a second. Let's get real here. Um, The reason they did that is because they know they don't possess power over the coronavirus, They, they don't have the power to heal anybody, to heal anybody. I cannot heal you. My prayers cannot heal you. A hundred people's prayers cannot heal you. 10,000 likes on your Facebook page can't heal you. Only God can heal you. Only God can heal you. Um, So if you are gravely ill, if you are gravely ill, let me ask you this. Have you prayed to God yourself? Have you yourself bowed the knee and prayed to God? Um, Or are you just asking everybody else to pray for you? Because you don't want to bend the knee to God. That's a question each person has to ask themselves when they're in a dire situation. Folks, this is because, I ask this because, you have full access, full access to the throne of God's grace. Access through the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You have access to the omnipotent, all-powerful Creator, and He's listening for you. He's listening for you. And if He were to miraculously heal you, as I said earlier, it is rare today, if He were to miraculously heal you, that's great. That is great. And if He doesn't, if He decides not to, if God decides not to, as the Apostle Paul himself heard, God's grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for us. Um, And if your experience, if uh, if my experience is anything like the experience of Paul, it's most likely God will not. It's most likely God will not. But I want to assure you this. Your own personal prayer, it engages the same source of divine power as would 10,000, likes, or as 10,000 people praying for you on Facebook. It's all God's power. It's all His sovereign power. It is dispensed according to His sovereign will. Uh, here's our problem. Here's our problem. The church, Jesus says, my, uh, my house will be called a house of prayer. The church has become preoccupied With ceaselessly praying for healing, endless prayers for healing. In fact, it's the only thing some Christians pray for bumps and bruises. Some pray for prosperity. Meanwhile, churches corporately are not praying uh, for what God has urged us to pray for in His Word. Uh, we pray for our wants. We pray for our desires. We pray for what makes us feel good. So our prayers run amiss. James four says we pray for ourselves or to spend it on ourselves. Folks, when we're praying always for ourselves and for what we want, and, and and what especially as a as a corporate congregation praying for what we want, God's temple needs to be cleansed of that. We can't allow God's temple, His, his people, to, to be further polluted by only praying for ourselves, Folks, that, that is pollution that needs to be cleansed out of the church. The corporate gathering is not instructed to, to offer repetitious prayers over and over and over again for, for God to heal a sprained ankle. Oh, or my stubbed toe or your bruised elbow. Hang with me. Hang with me. Don't hit the pause button just yet. Alright? This is important stuff for the church. We will gladly pray for your emergency. It, it would be our privilege to pray for you in an emergency. But, but as I stated at our congregational meeting just, just two weeks ago, Christ church needs to finally wake up and recognize something. We, we need to wake up and recognize the recovery time for Christians after major surgeries and diseases is shockingly consistent with that of unbelievers. Shockingly consistent with unbelievers. Doctors do not record separate astonishing data for chemo patients whose name appeared on a prayer list. Christians don't generally respond different to a treatment than do unbelievers. Statistics are are startling. They're, They're absolutely startling how a broken arm heals at the same pace for unbelievers as they do for believers who are prayed over again and again. Just as he does for an unbeliever, the doctor says you're going to be in a cast for six to eight weeks. Prayer doesn't change that. We don't see prayer changing that. The doctors aren't astounded on how the healing time for patients is half the time that they're Christian and prayed over. Doctors aren't astounded that if you're, if you're fighting cancer that somehow they're going to prescribe half the number of chemo pre, uh, uh, prescription as they would for another. It's, it's the same. They realize the physical body is under the curse of sin and we respond about the same. Um, We aren't healing one another through these long prayers for a broken arm and a stubbed toe. We're we're not. And virtually no Christian actually believes we are. How how can we be certain of that? How can we be sure that no Christian really believes that we are? Uh, I, I can share one way. Christians do not cancel their chemo appointment once the church agrees to pray for them. They don't say, oh, I don't need the chemo treatment anymore. Well, I'll just stay home. At least I hope you're not doing that. I hope you're not doing that. Because the very few um, extreme religious sects who who condemn or prohibit surgery as a lacking of faith, uh, a lacking of faith, those people aren't miraculously healed. Those people often appear on a list of deceased. They aren't miraculously healed. Christians aren't healed faster from these things no matter how many times uh, the church keeps on, keeps on, keeps on over and over again. So I would ask one thing. And I've already said that we would be glad to pray as individuals. We want to continue to encourage prayer uh, for these individual needs. That's not something to be ashamed of. But I will say one thing. Let's stop pretending. Let's stop pretending and stop devoting virtually all of our emphasis on such things. The entire church emphasis on these uh, temporary, temporary things. You know, Christians do not wield supernatural healing powers. We, we don't. And by the way, this is a question you'll run into. I've seen it on TV already. I've had videos shared with me and other things um, from preachers out there. We do not control the spread of the coronavirus. We don't corral the coronavirus any more than we steer hurricanes. It doesn't happen. Only God controls all such things precisely according to his sovereign will, his divine will. The one thing that we are allowed to control or participate in controlling is our response to all of these things. That is what we should be controlling in response to the coronavirus, in response to a hurricane, in response to someone we know being uh, coming down ill. Uh, folks, this is where the rubber really meets the road for churches, or it should. Jesus said, My house shall be called a house of prayer. The question needs to be rightly asked then, what then shall the church pray for? What should we be praying for? Because within biblical parameters of godliness and truth, You as an individual can make all of your requests be made known to God. God is there listening. Pray for what you need, as long as it is in harmony with His will. But acknowledge as Christ did, not my will, but thine be done. You and I ought to conclude our personal requests for what we feel we need. Uh, If the Lord so wills, we will do this, and we will do that. James 4.15 again. I will gladly pray with you for your needs that the doctors exercise skill, that that God will show His mercy in the situation, that that God will be glorified, and that He will preserve you physically and spiritually. But I I don't have the ability to heal. I don't have the ability to heal, nor does anyone else in particular. Um, If we, think of it this way, if we are trusting our health, if we are trusting our health to whether others few other individuals, a whole church, but if we're, whoever it may be, if we're trusting our health uh, to others, and whether others will, will remember to grab a prayer list at the end of the day, after a long work day, if that's what we're trusting in, our faith is wrongly displaced from God unto men. That's the problem. That's the problem. People are trusting in others. Um, some may be asking, with all of this because I'm sure some are struggling with this because they've never heard it before possibly. Not even, even, a, not even a thread of, of the, the need for the church to pray for things that, is, that are more weighty as Christ prayed. You, you might be asking then well it's just prayers. What's the harm? What, what, what is the harm? The harm is that since Christ has modeled for us prayers that focus on His divine glory and His eternal kingdom, and the salvation of souls. Um, his church, meanwhile, has far too often re- been restricted, and even disillusioned with a long list of bumps and bruises. Temporal concerns that experience and God both assure us will take care of themselves. Temporal concerns, rather than weighty, eternal concerns of the Lord. Um... Prayerless. In some situations, we, we don't. I don't feel we experience this at this church. But in some situations, have gotten way out of control. Way out of control. You don't see that this in Scripture. You don't see what we're seeing today in in, in American Christianity in Scripture. Um, at our church, we've transitioned prayer uh, emphasis. The emphasis of our prayers or the emphases of our prayers. We've slowly and inten- intentionally over time refocused our prayers. Um, I've had a number of our people, one in particular that came and visited Pastor Weiler and, and myself uh, not long ago, seeking clarification on what Christians are praying for, uh, why, why have Christians displaced an eternal focus of prayer, and, and he shared concerns that he had with, with long prayer lists that uh, he and his wife had had, had had circulated to them over the years. You know, if I weren't online, I'd, I'd probably share his name. Uh, this is new for us. He said, said, we would receive long lists in tiny print, multiple columns, front and back, of what we were supposedly praying for. Jim's job, Bob's back, Jane's root canal. He, He said, I looked over one list and noticed that some of these people on the list were already deceased. Asking himself then, how do these things reflect what Christ prayed for? Folks, when, when a man or woman begins to ask that question, when a church itself, a congregation of believers, begins to answer questions like these and conclude, how then shall we pray? Folks, it is an indicator of spiritual maturity. That's what it is. It is spiritual maturity together as individuals and together as the body of Christ. How then shall we pray? Um, this is one reason that I I shared, or I read to you during our scripture reading time, the entire length of Christ's high priestly prayer. That that was our scripture reading, and and we observed his emphasis, or his emphases again. Uh, This last night he was with his disciples. John 17, I'm going to just pull a few of them out for you, to remind us. Jesus prayed that God the Father would glorify his Son by bestowing, by granting eternal life. He prayed that the people may know the one true God and that Christ Jesus, and Christ Jesus whom God sent. That's weighty stuff. He prayed that we, his church, would receive the words that Jesus gave. And verse 8 truly understand that Christ came forth from God. Jesus was interceding on behalf of God's elect, saying, I do not ask on behalf of the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Speaking to his disciples, Jesus gave, uh, asked God to guard them. He said, And keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, as we are one. Um, spiritual preservation, unity among the brethren. Uh, th- these were Christ's impassioned Prayers for his precious flock. Jesus prays, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. Spiritual preservation, di- di- divine protection for one another. Um, They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Then he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prayed that we would be made holy, that, that is sanctified, set apart and useful for the Lord, um, through uh, the cleansing of the word of truth, through being cleansed um, of error. He continued, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So evangelism through every generation of the church uh, until God's harvest is complete. Jesus says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. So generational evangelism. Folks, this is is how Christ prayed for all of us. There's much more. But but just to draw focus to the closing of Christ's prayer. uh, He prayed this, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have not have known that you sent me and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the, the love which you prayed, uh, the love that you loved me may be in them and I in them. Think about it for a second. Is this how our prayers begin and end? Do, do our prayers look anything like this? It ought to. It ought to. Um, Christ's prayer should humble us, should, should truly humble us. Uh, corporate prayer, prayer of the church, should, should cleanse us from, from the petty desires of the world. Not focus our hearts upon the world. So, so forgive me if I decide to not pray for your 401k. You follow me? We don't need to focus our minds and our hearts and our spirits on the material in, in, in times of, uh, like these. You know, the apostles prayed for open doors for the word. For, for courage and boldness in proclaiming Christ. For purity from sin, protection from the evil one. Uh, that they would be good witnesses to those around them. That the Holy Spirit would convict and regenerate men. And that God would redeem and, and that those who redeemed, the Christians, would be generous and ready to share. And that we would be known for our love. These are important, uh, important facets of prayer. Sometimes, sometimes we don't so much like praying for these. Sometimes we, they don't really uh, fling our dinger, I guess you'd say. We'd rather pray for the little things. The, the little things, uh, Bob's back, Jane's tooth, her root canal, is everything going to go well? Because those, those indefinite prayers, kind of esoteric prayers, they, they don't demand much of a response from us. They, they don't. You know, it, it's prayer made simple. You say it and you're done. And then you just kind of wait around to see what happens, right? Um, trivial prayers produce prayer inaction. It's prayer that fails to act. It is inaction. Um, like faith without works, prayer without action is a dead prayer. It's a dead prayer. Meanwhile, prayer in action, prayer in action, demands that our prayers be followed by action. You know prayers for souls to be saved and, and laborers to enter the harvest must be followed by evangelism. By, by outreach, by witnessing, that cleanses us from the sin of sloth. Um, praying for the poor anticipates that we are going to be generous to them. It, it cleanses us from the sin of hoarding. Our, our culture suffers that one pretty bad right now. Um, praying for unity, that, that requires the denial of self and my rights. Uh, it cleanses us from, from the sin of demanding our way. Praying for Christ's name to be glorified predicts that his church is going to rise to worship him. Uh, It cleanses us from a sin of apathy. See, see, God's temple is to be cleansed by prayer. Therefore, the focus of our prayers, it's an important one. And one of the reasons we've remained committed uh, here to discerning the will of God through the word. Concerning his will. Um, The will of God in Scripture is essential for prayer. And it's become one of the most, or it is now the most prominent section of our prayer page, our prayer list. Uh, When we know what God's will is, then we know how to pray and anticipate what type of response that he is going to give. Our prayers will be in harmony with his will and and will not continue to run amiss. Uh, For the purpose of our sanctification, Uh, prayer is to be preserved as a ministry of the word, defended as a ministry of the word, that that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Ephesians 5.25 It's often proposed as instruction only about marriage. It is instruction about the husband and the wife, but it actually teaches us more about Christ. Men are told to love their wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, that is his church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. uh, That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's our goal. Holiness, blameless, righteousness, truth, prayer and action. Corporate prayer. It's primarily, you can make all of your requests be made known to God, as I said, but it's primarily to remain a ministry of the Word that cleanses Christ's church. Um, When when we look at Christ's prayers in Scripture, um, they are prayers of theological depth and gravity. Before we depart, we're almost done. I I must answer uh, a few common objections, three common objections. Are we not permitted to or allowed to ask for healing or pray for healing? The answer is we are not to make it the emphasis of our prayer time, uh, corporate prayer times. Healing is indefinite. We, we never know God's will as it comes to healing. Again, Christians heal at about the same rate as unbelievers. What we do know in regard to healing, what we do know, is that they were recognized as miracles because they were immediate and rare. They did not require further medical attention. Thus, prayers for miracles should never displace or distract us from praying those things which we know are God's will. They are not to usurp the things we know are God's will. It's not a sin to ask God to heal you. Um, The throne of grace is at your disposal. Uh, And for serious illnesses, I want to add you to our prayer list. I want to pray for you. Um, That way everyone can know your condition and they can respond as God has revealed we should in harmony with his will. We are to, Matthew 25 says, visit the sick. We want to visit you. Uh, We want to pray that we're going to show compassion. We're going to provide you a ride to the doctor if necessary. We want you on our mind so we remember to cook for you if you need it. These are the will of God. This is what the Word of God has told us to do in loving one another, the brethren. These are God's will. A second objection, this is probably a big one. It might arise from James chapter 5, which says this, Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. James 5, if you read the whole chapter and recognize the church, its division, partiality to the rich, verbal disputes and abuse that had been going on, James corrects these throughout the book. There's a lot of division and problems with that church. What we find in James chapter 5 is he is specifically addressing a situation Where a person has fallen ill due to sins against their church. It's a 1 Corinthians 11 condition, all right? Because they did not judge themselves rightly, it says that many, Paul writes, many among you are weak and sick, and a number have died. Paul's letter suggests it it wasn't that uncommon for the early church to experience uh, a sickness such as this, for sin against the church, especially before Scripture was complete. And we had all of, everything that we needed for faith and practice. This is the reason why James' remedy, the remedy he gives, includes confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's because sin is the root of the cause in this. It's a sin situation. So James 5, it's an exercise of restoration For the wayward brother who has rebelled, and perhaps even left the church, but then recognized their illness, the Spirit has revealed to them, their illness is God's judgment. That is why the sick person is instructed themselves to call for the elders. To to pray and anoint. Symbolizing that person's desire to be reunited with the church. A restoration of those he had offended. Um, it even comes with a wonderful reassurance, James gives a beautiful reassurance here, to that prodigal, once he's been restored, it says if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. The healing is more than physical, That's what we're saying, what James is saying. Uh, it is a spiritual healing. A uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and James 5 sickness, they're rare. They're rare. Uh, does not prescribe, uh, James is not prescribing a remedy for all general illnesses or typical illness. At least nobody practices it that way, in the way that it is written. Uh, I've never had a man call my office confessing uh, pornography or something else and wanting to be prayed over and anointed because he's afraid his appendix is going to burst. It, ne- it never works. People want to claim that passage, but they never actually want to do it the way that Scripture says. Um... James 5 describes a person near death who is divinely convicted of their illness as a result of sin against the brethren. So, James concludes his book, verse 20, he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. A sinner restored. Uh, Folks, that is supernatural. That is supernatural. God typically works his miracles in the heart. In the heart. Um... Finally, this is the last objection that I have time for. I guess nobody's going anywhere, right? No where we can go out to eat. Two more minutes. This would be the last objection I'll address. If you have others, contact us. Elijah, in that same chapter, did not control the weather through prayer, and we do not contain the spread of the coronavirus uh, through prayer. When you turn to First Kings chapter eighteen. We've discussed this as a church before, but in case you're new um, online or you've you've tuned in. When you turn to the story of Elijah, 1 uh, 1 Kings 18, you will discover that God had previously informed Elijah that it was going to rain. God told Elijah that it was going to rain. Um, He declared that to him. And what Elijah did then Is prayed in harmony with what God had revealed to him. That's what a righteous man's going to do. That's what a righteous man does. He prays in harmony with what God has revealed. For us, what God has revealed in his word, a ministry of the word again. This is the reason that Elijah's prayer was effectual. God had already told him he's going to do it. There there was nothing supernatural about Elijah, all right? Uh, Scripture says, actually, James says, he's a man with a nature like ours. He's just a man. Um, what was special about Elijah is that his prayers reflected what he knew was the will of God, as as should ours, as should ours. If you have more questions about James 5, 1 Corinthians eleven, the sin of apostasy, whatever it be, would be, feel free to contact Pastor Weiler, and he'll help you out with that. Um, no, we would be glad to help if you want more clarification on these. Seriously, as pastors. We have walked numerous people, people line by line through James 5, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, these other things. Uh, we would be glad and patient uh, with you to help in greater te- detail if you so like. Um, folks, be cautious of what you consume. Be cautious of what you consume. Books on the topic of prayer are not harmless. They're not harmless if they direct us away from what God's will is uh, the whole anointing with oil thing gets so distorted by, by people who are willing to write a few words out of context and then write a book about it. They, they give it an entirely different meaning. Um, th- so they're hoping it will become a New, t- New York Times bestseller. Uh, when it's properly explained, when these things are properly explained, Scripture comes together quite nicely, folks. Quite nicely. And, and it makes sense. Our door is open. Come and see us. A local church congregation is cleansed from fruitless prayer by praying in harmony with that which God has clearly communicated in His Word. Jesus says, Let my house be called a house of prayer. Let's do that right now. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Another one we can consider as uh, you go to Luke chapter 11. Um, they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus taught them this Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Stay stay safe out there.